0: Hello and welcome to the Orthodontic Products Podcast on the Medcore Podcast Network. I'm Allison Warner, Chief Editor of Orthodontic Products, and I'm joined today by Jackie Dorst, our infection prevention expert. Today we're going to be talking about what does the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency mean for the orthodontic practice? As long-time listeners will know, Jackie has over 30 years of experience as a consultant specializing in microbiology and dental hygiene. She has been a featured speaker at the American Dental Association and the American Association of Orthodontist Meetings. Jackie, it's so great to have you back. It's great
1: to be back, Allison. And we were both just just together at the AAO in Chicago, which was a much more... Mm -hmm open meeting than the previous one in <laughs> Miami beach. Yeah. Especially in the reflection mm-hmm. of infection control, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah and know, everybody was out and about a few masks on attendees and mm-hmm. but not nearly mm-hmm. what we saw the year before. So it was an exceptional meeting right. and great to return with all that energy and interaction between the attendees.
0: Yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely you know it was great being able to see you again in person so um but yeah so today um i don't know if in case our listeners don't know or aren't aware the COVID 19 public health emergency ended on may 11th so about a week and a half ago i guess yes. for our listeners or last week so i wanted to ask you what does that mean in general for healthcare? what what should
1: our listeners well with know? the public health emergency ending it's going to affect the funding for a lot of programs that uh, were allowed with that public health emergency, such as free vaccines and free uh, treatments for COVID infections, um, that will go away. So a lot of it is gonna be policies and what can be paid for by the government. But one of the, the things that's going to affect us in healthcare and our infection control protocols is a lack of data. During the pandemic, you know, we often would refer to what is the infectivity in your community? And you would go to the COVID tracker website on the CDC website and see, are you in a high level of infectivity? And then that dictated certain airborne disease protocols with uh, wearing N95 respirators or not. And then as the infectivity subsided, then you could go back to normal PPE with it. Those web bases, the, that information is no longer being supplied to CDC by the health departments, and CDC has even discontinued that COVID tracker web, uh, site, so we don't have that map to go to anymore, and even John Hopkins, right. that was another database that I went to. Uh, mm-hmm. John Hopkins has discontinued their COVID uh, dashboard, as they called it. So we're in the United States. We're sort of in a, a gray area that we don't know what the transmission is in our communities. And that's one of the challenges of going forward. You, We hear a lot of talk about what are the lessons learned from COVID. And that's one of the public health. Uh, lessons that we've learned is that we do need a better way of tracking infectious diseases, and then disseminating that information to the communities. So right now, that's one of the significant changes for the orthodontic offices is that that has that data has gone away. Now there's still record keeping on the number of deaths from COVID and Mm -hmm. we know the number of people that are hospitalized with COVID. There are currently 22,000 people a day that are still hospitalized with COVID across the nation. So COVID hasn't gone away, but you're gonna see more and more in the future that we'll talk about respiratory disease transmission, including influenza, uh, the common cold, RSV, and still COVID, it'll be under that umbrella mm-hmm. with it. So that'll be some of the changes going forward.
0: Okay. So then what should orthodontic practices know about the end of this public well, health Well, several emergency? changes
1: there. All of the screening that we did for employees and, uh, and patients, remember when we were taking temperatures and we were asking about mm-hmm. symptoms with it? Well, that screening specifically for COVID is going away. However, from many years, pre-pandemic even, we should have been screening our patients and infectious patients, patients that are sick. We should be rescheduling them because Mm. we've all learned that if you're sick, whether you're an employee or the patient, stay home. Don't bring that infection into the office to spread to other patients and to spread to the staff. So uh, screening is still important. And I I would go back. I know in one of our previous in the sterilization room episodes, we even put together a little poster, if you will, that had emoticons on it talking about, you know, do you have a fever? Do you have a cough? Oh, you know, or as the commercial goes, that diarrhea with it. Then please mm-hmm. let us know and yeah. schedule your appointment. So it's going to be screening for right. any illness symptoms and um, temperature checks. Well, we learned from COVID that wasn't a true indica- indicator for COVID with it. But mm-hmm. obviously, if anybody has a fever, they're infectious with something and they should right. stay at home. And the rule for how long you should stay at home before you return to work is 24 hours without a fever, without taking fever, reducing medicines and symptoms subside. So having that return to work policy, and that's a good standard to go by, is what's going to be ours going forward. Uh, So that screening has changed. And then another significant Mm -hmm. change is the universal masking or what we refer to as universal source control. Everybody in the orthodontic practice during COVID wore a mask. Patients wore masks sitting in the reception room. Anyone that came in with a patient, staff wore a mask except when they were in the staff lounge eating lunch. Well, now as we've exited the pandemic, if you will, and we're coming into our new normal, uh, if you know, it, we'll go back to more what was pre-pandemic masking uh, in the office. But again, if somebody comes in sick, if a mom comes in and she's coughing and sneezing with her child it would be appropriate to ask them to wear a mask while sitting in the reception room to keep from spreading any respiratory
0: illnesses. Okay. And then in terms of staff um, masking, do you have any... Guidance. Well, staff
1: masking is again going back to pre pandemic that we'll always wear a mask when we're doing direct patient care and with those splatters and splashes. And it would be a a regular surgical or procedure mask, a level two or a level three. However, you know, we're Mm -hmm. still going to keep those N95 respirators that we learned to use because the difference between the N95 And a procedure mask is that it fits so closely around the face and the nose. So it prevents any air leakage in the gaps around a regular procedure mask. And all of the breath that goes out and comes in with an N95 respirator on is filtered through the filter membrane. So if, if we do have to provide patient care to someone who's sick, you would want to have an N95 respirator. If you have really high infectivity of influenza in your area, it might be that the team decides they want to wear an N95 respirator. And we should, the the employer with OSHA states that the employee should have appropriate PPE to protect them. Now consider the instance that you have maybe an orthodontic assistant who's had breast cancer and they've had mm, surgery okay. and are going through chemotherapy, that person is gonna be very immune compromised. And they're gonna need the additional protection with their compromised immune system of wearing an N95 uh, mask with every patient treatment during that period while they're go- they're going through the chemotherapy. So, or, and it may not even be that employee. It might be that they have a family member at home. That's immune compromised. Right. And they wouldn't want to take the, the disease home to them. So we're still going to keep okay. N95 respirators around. And OSHA under their in total respiratory protection. Now that includes that's mm-hmm. OSHA's had a respiratory protection standard for over 50 years. You know, right. but it's not yeah. COVID that it's focused on. It's on dust and chemicals and particulates that are in the air. And that I N95 respirator and even full face respirators or half face respirators, OSHA has a long history with that. So, all of the employee training about how to don, how to doff, how to put it on and remove it and not cross contaminate to yourself, how to do a seal test where you blow out to see if you've got a complete seal and then inhale to see if the mask slightly collapses are going to be standard training that is required Hmm. for all employees. And then you're going to need to do a fit test and have documentation that that employee has passed a fit test for the particular N95 respirators that you have in your office. And that'll be an annual update. You have to review that once a year. And fortunately, we can now do fit tests in our orthodontic practices. We don't have to go to a medical facility or have somebody come in and fit test kits are readily available. So it's a pretty easy procedure to do, to do your own in-office fit testing. Okay.
0: Um, are there any other aspects about this public health emergency ending that people should keep in mind when they're thinking about the requirements of OSHA? Like maybe they might forget that this is still something they need to do under OSHA and it has nothing necessarily to do with COVID. It was just highlighted. Well, you know, under I'm going to go
1: back to vaccinations with it. Under OSHA, mm-hmm. okay. we're all familiar that we should have our hepatitis B vaccination. And the employer requires or in the employers required to have documentation of that. So we had a lot of information about the COVID vaccine, but going forward, Mm. you should review and make sure if you've hired new employees, do you have the documentation that they've had their hepatitis B vaccination? And if not, do you have that declining statement? And there are other vaccines that all healthcare workers should be taking. And I'd like to share with the listeners, um, there's a website, immunize.org, ORG, that has the latest update information for vaccinations for healthcare workers, information about the hepatitis B vaccination, and all of the hepatitis viruses, and why all healthcare workers should be vaccinated with it. And I always have my offices update their uh, OSHA manual by downloading these documents Mm -hmm. with it. So the vaccinations that are recommended for all healthcare workers are the COVID-19, whatever's the current update Mm -hmm. on that, you know, do you need a booster or not? Mm -hmm. Hepatitis B vaccination, influenza. As we come into the fall and get into October through April is the high respiratory disease transmission, then that's where we're at risk of influenza, the common cold. RSV, any of those airborne disease transmission. And then next is MMR, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccination, they're especially for orthodontic practices because they're dealing with young patients, with children. And we have a gap in vaccinations now because of all of this vaccine hesitancy. There are children that don't have their MMR vaccinations. And there are is the next on there. And then finally, a Tdap vaccination, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. All diseases that could be transmitted in air, potentially, we should have that updated uh, vaccination on it. So getting back to our new normal, make certain that as Mm -hmm. healthcare providers, you're vaccinated
0: and up to date. Excellent. Well, I want to switch gears just a little bit, because I also wanted to ask you about the CDC's recent recommendation regarding ventilation in buildings and public spaces. Since And since ventilation was a huge topic during the pandemic, we talked about it. Um, I'm curious to get your insight into what does this mean for unorthodox? Oh, Allison, practice. thank you for bringing that up. It is
1: that announcement by CDC is a recommendation again, and it was for public Spaces, not healthcare spaces, not the orthodontic practice. So, this is looking at um, uh, maybe shopping malls, schools, buses, trains, airplanes. And the lessons that we've learned about airborne disease transmission, this recommendation from CDC now is not just directed at COVID, but it's about having healthy air. breathe in buildings. And so they're, they're recommending five air changes per hour. That means that all of the air in the room is circulated through the heating and air conditioning system, that it will be changed five times per hour. And then that the filter that is in your heating and air conditioning system is at least of a filtration of a MERV 13. Now, a MERV-13 means that that's the the amount of filtering it will do. will filter out 50% of the 0.3 micron-sized particles. And these are routinely available at home repair stores, uh, you know, the the big box stores and everything. And and you can purchase them online and that they should be changed in a regular basis. It does talk about uh, implementing upper room. UVC, ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, and using that as an additional or an adjunct. However, that's not like you're hearing about UV irradiation in a freestanding HEPA unit that you would buy and put in your home or, or um, in some other public area. This is uh, installed up next to the ceiling. It is because ultraviolet irradiation can cause serious eye damage and blindness. It has to be installed and in a safe manner that it doesn't cause harm. So we're gonna see a lot more information about this in the future I think as more research is done. But this again was for public spaces that did not change mm-hmm. the guidance which is going forward and recommended by CDC for healthcare spaces. At healthcare in your orthodontic practice, your heating and air conditioning system should provide at least six air changes per hour. You should have that MERV 13 filter installed. And again, routinely change it on a basis. And I can't give you a standard of change it once a month or change it every two months. It's going to depend on the occupancy of your building. How many days a week are you open? How many people? It's going to be different for an orthodontic practice that sees 40 patients a day versus one that sees 120 patients a day and has all of those people coming through. So you, you have to judge what is going to be uh, effective for you. And then fresh air coming into the building. That's another thing that was in the public spaces that CDC specifically recommended that you have as much fresh air as possible coming into the building. And the indirect way to measure that is look at the amount of carbon dioxide in a space. When we breathe in, then our lungs remove the oxygen from the air and we exhale carbon dioxide the more people that are in a room breathing out the higher the number of carbon dioxide outdoor air is 400 parts per million so that we know is safe that's the best outside cdc's recommendation from the studies that we've had show that uh, if you get under 800 parts per million CO2, that you're really going to have safe air and you're not going to be at that high risk of an airborne infectious disease with it. So uh, having a CO2 monitor would be a good idea in an orthodontic practice, especially in the public places. And then I would recommend to orthodontic offices, look at your uh, HVE, your high volume evacuation, That was one of the other things that we learned during the pandemic is that that high-volume evacuation should be operating efficiently, that we should be cleaning our suction, and so we don't have wimpy suction, and you can check the flow by having one of your service checks have a flow meter attached to your high-volume evacuation, and it should provide at least 300 liters per minute of evacuation on there. So I think we've pretty much covered all of the changes and how they affect the orthodontic office. You know, there's one more thing though that I'd like to add and I still get a few questions about Um, it. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we did those pre-procedural mouth rinses? And there was a shortage Mm -hmm. of hydrogen peroxide and peroxyl, (laughs) and and people were talking about Mm -hmm. iodine and what kind of iodine. And it was recommended that povidone iodine or or hydrogen peroxide, half a percentage, and you rinsed and swished for one minute would kill the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Well, research has shown that wasn't always true it didn't provide that much more protection. So on the CDC webpage, CDC now says that um, this is not going to prevent SARS-CoV-2 transmission. However, if you want to use an antimicrobial mouth rinse, it is a good adjunct to your infection control program because any mouth rinse is going to reduce the bacteria the virus and any fungus or yeast that are in the patient's mouth. And I've had orthodontists tell me that, wow, they saw such clean mouths during the pandemic where they were doing these mouth rinses that they're going to continue going forward because they felt like, you ah. know, it really enhanced their infection control <laughs> and it improved their care that they could deliver to patients. So, a positive <laughs> thing that came out of the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for uh, joining us again and sharing your insight and helping break this down for our listeners. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you,
1: Allison. Orthodontic Products does a great service in sharing all of the latest information for orthodontic team members.
0: Great. Well, thank you. To our listeners, be sure to subscribe to the Medcore Podcast Network uh, to keep up with the latest episodes of the Orthodont Products Podcast. And be sure to check out orthodonticproductsonline.com to keep up with the latest industry news. Until next time, take care.